Uh, like he said, my name is Mo. Um, I'm super excited to be here two weeks in a row. Uh, that's fun. Um, we get to dive into Advent some more. And last week we started out with the love of God. So Advent has a series of, of themes that we usually run through, which is love, hope, peace, and joy. And last week we did love, and this week we get to talk about hope. Um, and it's crazy because I, I think I, I was sitting there in the moment of silence and I was like, something special is happening, which I already know that because this is right here, like something special is happening. But at the same time, I just kind of sense the spirit saying, hey, I'm going to show up today. And so like, I don't know about you, but I just want to take a minute, just close your eyes for a minute. And I know we already did a moment of silence, so I promise it won't be more than a few seconds here. But like, I don't know why you came or why you're sitting here this morning but all of us kind of brought something in. And so if you could just take the moment and say, hey, God, whatever you want to do today, I'm open to it. Amen. Whatever you want to do today, God, I'm open to it. OK. All right. Now you can open your eyes. I told you I don't want you falling asleep. My father in law used to do that historically in my church, and it was always fun to deal with that afterwards. But anyway, um, so this morning we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter eight. Um, the book of Romans is an interesting book. It was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who was a persecutor of the church uh, and then turned an apostle of the church and proclaims this marvelous gospel of God. And the book of Romans is kind of him explaining some of what the gospel is to the Roman church. So the Roman church, uh, to, to get, give a little bit of context, had an experience, an apostle coming to them proclaiming this gospel. So he wrote a really long book that some have labored for their entire life to understand that they've just grasped the surface of by the time they end their life. But we're going to do our best today to understand what Paul might have been communicating in chapter eight of this book. But in order to get there, what I want to explain to you, though, is as you open this book, it does open up some really beautiful things that speak to us today. So, so the first section of it talks about the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying and resurrecting and the necessity of that gospel. And then it flows through and says, hey, that beautiful gospel comes through Jesus and, and, and his death, burial, resurrection on the cross. And then it goes into uh, chapter six through eight and says, hey, after all of that, if you've received Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If, if you have a relationship with God, here are the benefits that come afterwards. Right. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter eight is I, I want to talk about the benefits where in chapter eight, it says the phrase, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer condemned if Jesus is your Lord. Now, that's good news. That's really good news. I mean, we could walk away right now and that's great news. We we don't have to have any more news than that because it's beautiful that we are not condemned before God if we are in Christ Jesus. Now, you, if you've been around church long enough, what we would say is like, hey, once you receive Jesus, your life is perfect thereafter. Everything's great, right? No, nah, we, no, nah, that's not, no, no, no. The people who've been around long enough for like two seconds, no, that, that's not true. Um, I've seen Christians before, so that's not, that's not how that works. Um, but that's one of the things I love about the Bible, though, is when you hop into the Bible and you start reading these stories, you recognize that people who walk with God, we are constantly going through something, some sort of struggle, some sort of t uh, uh, difficulty. The Bible's not full of a bunch of fairy tales and whimsies and, 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 and bows and, and lollipops where everything goes great for everyone, right? God knows what it means to be human. And so when we look into the world, we all know that there's something 
pretty messed up. Whether you're looking at the news, the social media, in the world, if you just walk out on the block, you know there's just something real messed up, right? Like, I mean, I, I, did, I, I did a little bit of brief Google research. There are 153 million orphans in the world. In the United States, there's about 400,000 of them. But what we're looking at, there's 153 children who walk around every day without a hug or a kiss from a mom or a dad who love them and affectionately care for them. 153 million. Okay? Daily, in our particular country, the United States, here, there are mass shootings. Like, gun violence is just a thing of reality that we live in, right? Like, when I drop my kids off at school, I pray that I get to go pick them up later in one piece, okay? There are two large-scale conflicts, wars, however you want to label that thing, on the other side of the ocean that have global implications to the point where we have fighting and turmoil in our own country here that are coming from their fight over there. And that's been true, right? So that's not new. Right. Like, if, if, again, looking at the Bible, looking at history, there's always been some sort of fight, some sort of turmoil. But all of those things point to this grander reality that every day we face pressures and struggles. And it's just not easy because there's something deeply messed up in the world. And so I don't know about you, but when I think about those things, it not just hits heavy. I'm like, man, that's sad. But there's this deep well in my soul that says, man, what is wrong? Is it going to be OK? Like, is there a resolution to this story, the chaos that has been broken free since Genesis 3 in the Bible, when the first two humans are talked about, where they came in and they decided to abandon the freedom that God offered and decided to have autonomy and say, hey, I'm going to conduct my life in the way that I want to walk my own life. Like, is there freedom from that decision that was made on our behalf, so to speak, but we also make daily like, where is the hope in all of the struggle and all of the chaos and all of that? Well, I don't have the answer, but I think the source that we have in front of us might have some answers for us. And so we're going to be in chapter eight in verse 18. Let's pick it up. It says, consider that our present sufferings are not worthy or not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God or the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Hallelujah. So my first point I want to point out today is hope is found in future realities during your present struggles. Right. So I, I live, I'm, in, I'm in a room full of people who are human. We know what it means to be human. It's a struggle. Like it was just a struggle bus to get here when I turned down the wrong street on Brooklyn. and The FedEx truck uh, decided to stop in the middle of the road and not make room on the right side. There's a struggle there for me. Right. Where I might lose my stuff while my kids are sitting in the back of the car. Like there's struggles like that. But then there's also struggles of like heartache and disappointment. My brother told me about his foot this morning and how he injured himself. Like there are just deep struggles just walking around in this world that is cursed by sin, but yet Paul would have the audacity to say, hey, but the future glory that's ahead, the thing that's in the future, 
is beyond comparison to what you might be going through right now. Uh, what he's saying is that that hope can't and will not be ultimately found in the resolution of whatever today's struggle might be. Like verse 19 through 20 says, all of creation is longing for this glory. See, creation even knows the trees, the rocks, the mountains, they cry out groaning for this new thing that might come about that's grander than whatever difficulty that you or I might be in. The word Paul uses here is that they were subjected to frustration. Now that for us is a small word in the English language. That's why the English language isn't always great when we talk about these things. But the Bible, the New Testament specifically, was written in a language called Greek, which had fuller meanings behind the words they used. So when he says frustration, what he's saying is that the creation, everything on the planet carries the weight, the word, the meaningless, the emptiness, the vanity that can come from walking in this existence of the brokenness of the world. That's what it's saying. There's a longing, there's an angst buildup, like we talked about last week a little bit, about the coming of something greater. And so not only do we know that things aren't the way they ought to be, but creation knows with us. It's experiencing these things with us. Look, when we, when we, when we, when we feel the struggles of the world and the inner groanings, we say the words, it should not be, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, let it not be so, Lord, right? And then through Romans 8, God's saying, hey, you're right. It's not the way it should be. Like, I remember sitting around as a kid, hoping and wishing that my dad would eventually just come home and stay home and not leave on his benches anymore, right? Like there was just this, this groaning in me to say, hey, this is not the way it should be. Hoping that there might be something better, right? It didn't get better. And, and so I sit back and I'm like, then what do, we, what do we do with that? And how often do we sit there and say, okay, is everything going to be okay? Like this groaning and this wishing and all of that. And what God is saying in, our, in the word right here is that as we eagerly wait, what we're eagerly waiting for is something better than what we have now. And that's called hope. Hope is not the absence of conflict in your own day to day struggle. Hope is saying that things will revolve, resolve themselves in a grander way. And, and I think that here's what I think about this. So look up here for a second. When you think about heaven, so like everybody, 10 out of 10 people die at some point, right? Everyone has an expiration date on them. Um, there are foods that will last longer than us because of the, the things that we put in them. Anyway, um, <laughs> but like Twinkies, for instance, will last a lot longer than us. It's kind of nasty to think about. Um, but everyone has an expiration date. And so when you think about that afterlife, what do you think about? Like, generally speaking, I, I promise you, we have like this Hollywood vision of it because we've been fed it, right? Where you, we envision heaven as this place where we're hanging out like little baby angels in clouds playing harps. That is boring. Right. That's not, that's not something like in my present struggle where like my mom has died. Now I'm caring for my brother in law who his mother had died and I buried my dog just a month ago. Literally, all these things have transpired. And I'm looking at this struggling with the mentality of like, what is going on in the world? How do I love this man? And the hope that God is giving me is that I get to be a baby angel playing harps in the cloud. Anybody else want that? 
No, we don't want that. Like, I, I think that that's the struggle for us, that, we, that we're seeing this heaven meets earth reality that God talks about as something that's completely void of any kind of real life, real like enthusiastic things that we can hope for. And so when we look at the Bible, actually, what Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection gave us was not harps and baby angels in the cloud, but what he gave us, what the opportunity holds is an eternity with God. Remember, I said that things aren't the way they should be, but that God started out that way. Remember, we talked about the story of the first humans where God was with them and things were good. They were walking around naked, theoretically, but at the same time, they were not playing harps and clouds, but, but they were working. They were enjoying the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, again, human autonomy comes in, meaning we're going to do life in our own way. And God said, hey, that can't be done here. Right. There was a separation between them and God. And so and don't get me wrong. We're grown adults in the room. We like our way. Am I right? Like we like to do what we want. We want to do what we want to do. That's why we became adults. When we were kids, we were like, hey, I can't wait till I can eat what I want and drink what I want and and play video games what I want and all those things. And I just want to ask, though, how's that working out for you? Right. Because what God's saying to us this morning is that, hey, I have something much grander than what you're planning here today. The schemes or the thoughts that you might have for your life, which may be great or may not be great, what I have is much grander. Because what he started in a garden, he's actually moving into a city. And here's what he says about it. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. This is John talking about the future vision of God taking heaven and meeting earth, not creating something far off, detached from where we are, but actually recreation is what we would, the term that we would say is. That means we're taking something that is old and making it brand new something that's never been done. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be with his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away, listen to this, every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, isn't that far more beautiful than baby angels and clouds? No more tears. No more pain. There's an end to the groaning and there's a restoring of what should have been. So God started in the garden, like I said, but he's coming with a city. Hope was lost in Adam, but hope is found in Jesus. Okay, so some of y'all might be like, all right, that's cool. Got it. Believe in Jesus and I get to be with God later on. That's great. What do I do today? And that's the hardest part, isn't it, though? Because it's easy to just say, hey, just ride the bus right now. Eventually, you're just going to go be with Jesus anyway. But it's like, yeah, but like for me, I'm 38 years old, which means theoretically I have another 50 or 60 years left to deal with this. So what do I do with that? Because guess what? The deaths that I've experienced and the losses that I've experienced in my life so far aren't the end. There will be more. So what do you do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go open up our Bibles again. Romans 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans with that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So hope is found in present struggles through the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's hard to hope when things are hard, right? And so, 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 so how, do I, how do I place my hope in the glory to come when right now my bills need to be paid and my paycheck isn't matching it, right? How am I supposed to do that when the future is bleak or when I'm experiencing homelessness or whatever that might be, whatever that struggle is, how am I supposed to live in this? And God would say, I have sent you a helper fit to be with you through that. So there's this story in John where Jesus is talking to his, his buddies, the disciples, and this is like kind of, this is the end of his life. So he's, he's 33, 33 and a half, approaching the cross. He knows it's coming because, well, he's God. Um, and he's talking to his buddies, and the thing that he says to them, which was wild to them, I'm sure, was, hey, it's better that I might go so the Holy Spirit would come. Okay. And if you're if you're the disciples, you're like, wait a minute, I've been walking around with God in the flesh this whole time. And he's telling me that he's going to leave and it's better that he leaves. There there must be something good about. And so what Jesus says is that it's better that the spirit might come. Because the spirit not just comes and is with one of you or 12 of you or with 72 of you within the Gospels. But what the Holy Spirit can do is the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The Holy Spirit of God not only just sits beside you, but is in you and is with you in the struggle, with you in the groaning, with you in the chaos. Holy Spirit bears the same burdens that we bear as we're continuing to be made new. It also says that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us. So I don't know about you in your prayer life, but I struggle with distraction in my prayer life. If, I, if I'm going to sit down and pray, I'm always distracted by other things. But even when I'm not distracted, uh, there's, a, there's a friend of mine. He always tells me, he says, Mo, you only see one part of the mountain. So like if you're climbing a mountain, which I don't do, um, generally speaking, you only see the one in front of you and how you're trying to head up to the top. But what you don't see is what's at the top. What you don't see is at what landing point, the beauty at each point of the journey. And what the Holy Spirit does, Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, I've seen the whole journey for you. I've seen I've seen the vantage point. I've seen the peak. I can remind you that, man, it does get better. Your circumstance may not change, but the life that you have in front of you does get better with me. You see, our perspective is imperfect. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, I have perfection. I see perfection. So for instance, when we pray, I remember. I remember the days of praying. I'm going to say this. I'm going to just be transparent with you. So I have a son. I had him when I was 16 years old. And I remember praying that God would just take that kid away so I don't have to worry about it. Okay. It's because I have an imperfect vision of what the future reality could be and what God might be working in. Well, now that son is 20, almost 22 years old and a beautiful man and, and a wonderful blessing to my soul. But I would have never known that because I can only see my part of the mountain. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, your imperfect prayer, I can use and pray to the Lord the right things. The things that are actually of God's will. 
And so even in our most sincere faithfulness to plead with God, we have the Holy Spirit of God asking for not just the things of God and the will of God, but the thing that God wants to graciously give to you that you don't even know to ask for. Because let's be honest, we don't know the future and we don't know always what to ask for. But God sincerely loves you enough to say, hey, I'm I'm going to pray on your behalf even when you don't know what to say. Right. Like God wants to have this all consuming reality in your life where he comes in and says, hey, I have so much better for you than even what you're trying to do right now. So here's what I mean by that. So my daughter. My oldest, she struggles with a lot of anxiety, always has since she was a little girl, right? So we're from Nebraska. If you don't know where that is, it's okay. Most people fly right over. Um, but there's tornadoes there. That's kind of a real thing. And so my daughter, she's, she's in elementary school. She's, she's learning about tornadoes. She comes home, tells us all about it, and then we put her to bed. She gets up like 30 minutes later when she was trying to sleep, uh, and she's like, I just can't sleep because there's going to be a tornado going to hit our house tonight. We're like, it ain't even rain. It's the middle of winter. That's just not the way this works. Like, but she doesn't have the the breath of wisdom and experience that we have. And so we had to sit her down and say, honey, we love you. We would never put you in danger uh, willingly. Uh, It's winter time, so it's not even the season for that. And also, we live in a town that hasn't been hit for over 75 years. I think we're going to be okay. You see, for you and I, what I'm getting at is you and I have the infinite source of wisdom and the future dwelling within us and has access to even when you're sitting there in the anxiety of what the heck am I going to do? Holy Spirit can just say, I'm with you. And the good news is this isn't the worst thing because the better things are yet to come. Right? Like, that's good news, because I can't conceive of a life beyond what I can see in front of me. But the Holy Spirit sees the future. Back in verse 11, it says, and if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bottles because the spirit who lives in you. Like that. I don't know if we ever as as Christian people, as people follow Jesus, really grasp the reality of the power that dwells in us. Like I had a brother last week here talk about how he was like, man, I couldn't pay rent. And God told me to be generous in this space. And I'm trying to figure out what to do here, whether I be generous or whether I should pay my rent. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you better pay your rent, bro. Um, But like, nonetheless, God said, no, I convict you. And then God provided for him. Now, that's not a story of like every time you get generous, you don't pay your bills. You should definitely pay your bills. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is the Holy Spirit can see perfectly. And therefore, we have a power in us that goes beyond what we can see right in front of us. Like, how many of you have seen someone die and come back to life? Okay, a couple of y'all. I figured there might be a couple. This is some Jesus people up in here. It happens. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. And if it does, how much do you think it will take to make that happen? Like when my mom was dying from cancer, I had thousands of people praying that she would not die. It happened. So the power that we're referring to is much grander than anything we could ever imagine. So, and, and God is saying that power lives in you and you have a hope in the power that lives in you, not the power that is outside of you. I don't know if y'all hear me yet. 
Like God is doing a work that goes beyond your circumstances and your struggles that gives you a hopefulness that says, yes, things are hard now, but there's something better for you. Okay, let's keep going so we can see. Verse 28 through 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Here we go. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So my last point here is hope is found in God's will already being accomplished. You see, when we're in our struggles, there's already something at work and at hand. And what God promises is that it's also already done. So what we got here is a a group, a cluster of interesting words that says everything is going to be okay. Now, it doesn't mean it'll feel good. I'm just going to be honest. Like, it doesn't mean it's going to feel. But it's like God says, hey, I'm good and you're with me and that's good enough. Right. So like my, my, my boy Uriah, you saw him earlier. He's the kid with the mohawk. There's a beautiful thing that happens with Uriah that, so we live in Harlem and we walk around at night, doesn't matter what time of day it is. If Uriah's on his own, his shoulders go like this, he gets real quiet and really reserved and kind of scared of everything around him, right? But when he walks with me, all of a sudden, you see Uriah have a little bit of a limp in his step, like homie just walks around like this, like nobody's business, because all of a sudden Uriah realizes that there's somebody walking with him that has a bit more strength than he does, and he's going to be fine. He's got a confidence. And what God is saying here is that there's nothing that you can do. There's no performance. There's no being good enough. There's no exchanging good behavior for good things from God that can separate you from the fact that he has a relationship with you. You don't gain it. You don't earn it. You receive it as a gift. And so then, therefore, because of that, God continues to work all things for your good and my good for those who love him. That's God's purpose and plan. That's what he's saying in our text. And then he uses these terms that I I love these terms. Notice the terms that he used. He says, for new, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Those are some big words, right? So so when we're looking at the, the for new piece, though, we have to know, again, English language is not a great substitute for Greek because Greek carries heavier weight. So when we're looking at the word for new, it's not simply saying that, hey, God looked up in history and man, God saw you good. No, what it's saying is for new is like to know. Like when you look at the Bible and you use the word know, it's like a man and a woman intimately loving each other. There's a there's a knownness. So it's not saying that God foreknew you as in like kind of a flipping thing. It's saying, no, 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 you, you. As an individual, God looked into the future that he's creating. He saw you and just knows you. So like if you're in the the depths of loneliness, which is what the struggle bus usually brings about, it's saying, no, 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 you're not alone because the God of the universe, before things were even created, before he breathed life into existence, he knew you. And not only does he know you, here's what he knows about you. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch me. So not only did he know you, he has you. He possesses you. He, you are his. 
God called your name and says, I want you, I love you. And catch this, not because of anything that you've done, not because of anything you didn't do, but because he chose to love you anyway. He loves you. Verse 30, God says literally that, that he called you out. He called you out. So not only did he see you, he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to pluck you out of whatever that is that you're trying to do over there. I'm going to call you out as mine. So out of your hopelessness into my beautiful hope. And then he says, I, I, I justified you. So people like to say this just as if I've ever, not ever sinned is how God will see you. But I like it better to say, hey, God looks at you just like he looks at Jesus which means he sees perfection. He sees his child. He sees his baby. Like, I, like my mom called me her baby, even though I was an adult. Like it didn't matter. But what she was communicating to me was like, I, you're mine. There ain't nothing you can do. There ain't nothing you can say that's going to separate me from that. And that's the level of love that God would have for us. That's the, the justification that God has for us. It doesn't matter what you've done because you've been, you've been covered by the blood of the Son. There's a beautiful assurance in that. And not only that, again, what our text is getting at, the hope that we're talking about, the, the future of Christ coming and making everything right again, is the glorification piece. That God can speak things. And he says, so the interesting thing about a text, when you're looking at past tense, present tense, so basically saying that, hey, you can talk about things that are happening right now, you can talk about future things, or you can talk about the things that have already been accomplished, already been done. And when it says God has glorified in the text, it's glorified. So catch this. We're talking about future things, but God speaks as though they've already happened. Isn't that beautiful? Like, what that say? I mean, that, like, yes, Uriah walks with a, pip, with a walk in his step. Like, he, he's got a little bit of like a swag on him. But what God is saying is like, nah, man. It's already done. There's nothing, no one, nothing in the world that can stop. No struggle that you're going through or that we collectively are going through that will stop God from accomplishing his plan of taking his sons and daughters and glorifying them. So when we're experiencing the ramifications of the broken world or the brokenness of this world, when our souls are weary and we, we, we can't hope in a different political regime or a little bit more money or finding some sort of endeavor that's going to make us happy or whole, our hope in the struggles are found in the glory that is to be revealed in us and through us through Christ Jesus. So if you're sitting here unsure of that, here's what I want to provoke you with is that Christ said that he predestined. So here's the thing. Predestined means that not only did he foreknow you, he saw you, he called you, he justified you. He's already knowing what glorification is going to be, but that predestined peace means that he's going to do the work. So I don't know about you, but there's plenty of times where I sit in my seat and I get on my pity pot and I start to think, you know what, Mo's pretty worthless. I'm like, man, you ain't, you ain't adding a whole lot to the equation here. Okay? No question about it. I, I think that sometimes. And when God says, I predestined you to conform you to the image of my son, what God is saying is that I am going to work in you to be more and more like the beautiful Jesus every single day of your life. And lean in. 
So even though I believe lies about myself at times, God comes in with the truth and says, no, 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 no. I predestined you to be something greater than what you've ever imagined because you're my child. So there's no lasting hope out, outside of trusting that. So here, here's the thing. We got two sets of people in the room, most likely. We got one set of people who are here like, mm, that's an interesting group of thought. But I'm not sure where I stand with God. Right? That, that, that's a hard spot to be. Because I remember asking myself this, a, a question, sitting in a similar seat that you might be sitting in, thinking, okay, I got you. I hear what you're saying here. I got all this right here. And just asking myself the question, what do I hope in? What do you have hope in? And then the follow-up question, is it working for you? And if it's not, may I compel you to say, hey, there's something greater? There's a king out there who says, man, I saw you before you ever got here. And not only did I see you, but I knew you intimately. I knew what you were going to do. I know what you did last night. I know what you did this morning. I know your intimate details of every single thought that you've ever had. And yet I love you anyway. And so, man, if you're, if you're here searching for hope, you're searching for something that goes beyond your current predicament, man, I'm telling you that God set you right here to receive that and say, hey, I know I know that God exists. I know that God created humans. But here's what I also know. I've, I've gone my own way. I've gone the road of autonomy and sin. And God has paved a way for me to not, to, not, to not have to continue in that. And so what I offer you today is that Jesus is Lord. The reason why we're here today, Christmas, right? God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. But not only that, but God went to a cross, died on that cross, raised from the grave to say, hey, not only can you be forgiven from your sins, but you can also be made new in a richness of life because the Holy Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead and defeated death. So, yes, 10 out of 10 people die, but not everybody has to die in eternity. So if you haven't received Jesus, I want to plead with you today that you would that you would receive Jesus. And for those of us who's like, yes, and amen, I have received Jesus. Jesus is in my life, but I'm still a little bit hopeless today. May I challenge you and push on you and encourage you that the Holy Spirit of God that defeated death. I'm telling you, like there's nothing that defeats death except for the power of God. That power lives in you. And God says for all of eternity, for all of this life, you have access to me every moment of every day. And so can I challenge you, follower of Jesus, believer, know that that's true. Have faith that that's true. Walk with a little bit of swag in your step knowing that it's true, but then also walk in that. Like talking that. God, God loves you and, and cares for you intimately. And so embrace the reality of who you are in Christ. And that is a child of the living God and you, his baby. Amen.